Glad you're here today and uh, welcome to my second favorite Sunday of the year, right? What's the first favorite? That's Easter, right? Second favorite is the Sunday after Easter. I love it. And we have just as much power uh, today as we did last week. And uh, it's good to uh, have you here today. Those of you that are guests, thank you so much for uh, spending a uh, Sunday morning worshiping with us. Take a moment throughout the course of this service, fill out that connection card in front of you, put that in the offering box in the back there. We'd love to be able to connect with you somehow uh, throughout the week. And I want to, I want to invite you this Friday to our home group. It's a great, great time. And uh, we have been uh, studying just the tough topics, as Mike mentioned, of just uh, the last multiple home groups is why is there so much evil in the world? This next generation, the Gen Zs, that's their number one issue with God. And really, it's kind of generational. Everyone is wise or so much evil. You know, how can we believe in, you know, a God that creates that kind of uh, wonderful, um, just biblical truths that we hold to. And so we're trying to deepen ourselves so that we can have uh, answers, that we can articulate those answers to this next generation that is asking the question. Psalm 23, as we jump back into our series, The Good Shepherd, and uh, I have enjoyed our time uh, through this very uh, just famous, I guess I could put it that way, really the scriptures are famous, it's the number one book that is sold of all time, but Psalm 23 is a favorite of so many, and I am... Uh, Thankful to be able to take you through it. Psalm 23, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, but we're going to main our our messages just in verse 5 as we've just kind of been going verse by verse through this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, David said. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then he goes on to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I enjoyed uh, the last time we were in this study before Easter, before Palm Sunday. It was the shadow. He dealt with the the shadow that the Lord is, he, he is there, the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then today's text, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful psalm. And as we as we move through this psalm, we're we're seeing what the great blessing it is to belong to the Lord, to belong to the Son of God. We we live in a culture today that we don't want to belong to anything. Like no one, no one owns me and I don't, and no one, no one has power over me. But this Psalm is beautiful when we understand that we are, that we, when we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he's your shepherd, when you've been bought with a price, bought into the fold, when you've been born again, you've been birthed into this fold of God, God says to you that I'm going to lead you into rest. I'm going to lead you into paths of righteousness. I'm going to, I'm going to restore you. The shepherd, he, he, he brings you back when you faltered. And when you're wandering, he, he restores you. He, he guards you. Even when you walk through kind of those latter days of your life, when you don't know when death is going to come knocking, the shadow of what that's like, he walks with you as a good, good shepherd. You don't need to fear the evil that comes with that. But today we come to the fourth blessing 
that comes to, that belongs to the flock of God. And that is the good shepherd sustains us. He sustains us. That is, he will give you all that you need to keep going. I wonder if there's anyone here that's ever performed an Ironman marathon. Anyone here ever done an Ironman marathon? Anybody? No? I thought maybe I saw a hand there. Uh, An Ironman marathon is crazy. That's where you swim for 2.4 miles, then you get on a bike for 112 miles, and then you run a 26-mile marathon after that. And as you think about that, what in the world would keep an individual going through something like that? But I want to ask you this morning, what keeps you going? When you get tired, when you get jaded, when you get worn out, when you've had a, a brutal week, what keeps you going? Well, David tells us that God sustained him. And it's the verse that we're looking at today. I want you to again look at verse number five. Thou prepares, a ta- prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. And then he goes on to say, and my cup, it's, it's, it's overflowing. It's running over. God often uses material things to speak to us about spiritual things. And here... God uses through the the, the human pen of of David to give us three examples of things that we can touch, of things that we can handle, a table, oil, and a cup. It's all all examples of, of what we can understand, and it speaks into the spiritual realm and the really even the physical realm of the world in which you live. How does he sustain us? Well, David tells us that he uses these different things. And so let's start off this morning with the concept of the table. And so God sustains us by by giving strength. This is is eating in style. Forget about just simply grabbing like a cheeseburger on your way home that you're going to eat in the car or something like that. Or maybe you're going to get a burrito that's a little easier while you drive. We're not talking about that type of thing. I want you to picture like Thanksgiving dinner. How many of you are hungry right now? Oh man, me too. I'm actually a little hungry. I ate really early this morning, so it's getting around that lunchtime. And so the more you engage with me, the shorter I'll preach. You all know me better than that, right? <laughs> so just stay silent and we'll go quick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's have fun this morning. But it's like, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner. The, the table is spread. You've got like the places, the, the, the placemats are set out, the candles are burning, you've got all the, the dishes for the, for the hot turkey and all of the bowls with all of the fixings. I mean, it's, it's ready, it's loaded. Someone has prepared a table for you. I want you to try and I want you to think about this picture. You arrive home from a hard day's work, you're tired, Maybe you're a little jaded from something that happened that day. Maybe something that was said to you. Maybe something that happened to you. Maybe someone cut you off on the, on the way home. Your energy is spent. You're tired. But someone's in the kitchen. Someone's cooking. Someone's, someone's preparing something for you. And you come in and you, you ask if you can help. And they say, no, 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 just, just go sit down. 
And you sit there and you watch it being done and you can smell all of the smells. You can hear the crackling of what is being cooked and you are ready to eat. You're watching the person prepare. And when it's done, it is set before you and you get to eat and your strength is renewed. That's the picture that David is referencing here. And so here's the question that we ought to ask ourselves. Who would do that for you? Well, David says the person that does that for him is the good shepherd. The person that does that for him is the Lord. The whole psalm is about, then the Lord is my shepherd, and so that I'm not going to want. And then he goes down to all of the different blessings that come to belonging to this shepherd. And so he's like, the Lord is going to prepare this table for me. And I want you to know that it is in the present tense. It's not something that he did one time for you. It's not something that he does every once in a while. No, no, no. This is in the present tense. He is here to prepare a table for him. He says, my shepherd, my God, my Lord, you prepare a table for me. So God uses this picture to tell you that he will sustain you by giving you strength. As your body is strengthened by a good meal and food, so you will be sustained as the Lord himself feeds you. And where does he feed you? Where's this table? What does the text say? In the presence of your enemies. Can I bring that to our today's vernacular, the way that we would kind of understand what David is trying to say? Now, he had a lot of enemies. We'll talk about that here in a moment, but you might not have a lot of enemies, but it's in the midst of his circumstances. It's in in the midst of his life. God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to remove you from this situation and then put this banquet of a meal in front of you to sustain you and to give you the strength. No, 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 no. David says, God has done this for me. God has prepared this table for me right in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my enemies, in the middle of everything that I hate, if you allow me to say that word, about my life. All of the struggle and the grind, the things that make you jaded, the things that make you weary to the bone. David says, this is where this table This is where this this banquet, so to speak, is put forth before me. Now, David, he was, was, uh, he was in a lot of different battles. His life literally was an unrelenting battle. In his early years, he was a shepherd, despised by his older brothers. Then he lived as a fugitive, hunted by King Saul. Then when he became king, he, was, uh, he inherited a, a, a divided kingdom where there were rival tribes filled with all types of resentment towards one another. In the latter years, he suffered and his family was torn apart by cycles of abuse and violence and death and all kinds of sin. And then at one point, he had to even flee from his life from his very own son who was rebelling against him. So how in the world did he keep going? I mean, you just study the life of David. At some point, we're going to do a character sketch of David like we did with Joseph a couple summers ago. We're going to do that again. But how how did he keep going? How will you, how will you keep going in the light of the many pressures and burdens and conflicts and troubles of your life? 
Well, God prepared a table for David. He renewed David's strength even in the presence of his enemies. And what God did for David, hear me, God can do and God wants to do for you this morning. Literally this morning. You know what God wants to do? God wants to use a table in your life. God wants to use some oil in your life. And God wants to use a cup in your life. And I'm, I can't even wait to get to the other points. I'm so excited. That's what he wants to do for you. I have no clue what your week was like. I don't know what you're bringing to your table, so to speak, this morning. But God, what he did for David, he wants to do for you. He wants to give you the strength that you need to continue to press on, to sustain you in a world of the context, trouble. Literally, we're just talking about the shadow of death, the eeriness that goes along with that. And he's bringing this table, this sustenance, this strength to you in the midst of that. So a table. I think we can kind of understand that. Hopefully you're a little bit hungrier by the time of me describing the turkey and the green beans and the stuffed and stuffing. How many of you are stuffing fans? Man, I love stuffing. Any stovetop stuffing fans in here? Oh, oh, God bless you. That's the best. Keep it out of my turkey, thank you. Just put that on the stovetop. I'm good to go. I'm hungry. Let's get, let's get with it. The oil. Let's talk about the oil. Now, the traditional interpretation, of course, of this text, let me give that to you really quickly. And it's, it, it's the proper view. It's the proper interpretation of it. And, but I want to apply it in a little bit different way. And so the, the, the sheep would go out over the course of a day and the shepherd would be, you know, bringing him beside still waters. They'd be going through these valleys. Remember, there was literally valleys in the area there around Jerusalem that depending on where the shadow was on which side, depending on if you went north or south, all of those, all of those the, the, the background of this story is true. And so they would sometimes get caught in maybe a thicket, something that had thorns, or maybe an animal would try to attack the sheep. And then, you know, the shepherd would beat it off with the rod that they has. And so there's all of the, the elements that a sheep would go through on the course of a day. And then at the end of the day, what the shepherd would do is he would begin to examine each one that were in his flock. And he would, often they would know him by name. Literally, they would have names. And they, if they would have cuts and, you know, bruising and things, they would apply oil. They would apply salve to the wounds of that sheep over the course of a day. And for sure, when they would come back into the fold, that's what would happen. But there's also another use for, for oil. And that is that God sustains us by giving us purpose. It says, thou anointest my head with, with oil. So oil was used in the Old Testament to, to commission a certain person for the work of God that, that he has called them to. And so certainly you see the beautiful care within this phrase, but I'm gonna, and I think many of us, maybe we've heard that. I'm gonna take the other approach here and talk about the purpose and the commissioning that comes within our lives. The prophets, the priests, and the kings, they were all anointed with oil because God had given them a particular assignment. And so if the table speaks of new strength, the oil, at least for this morning, is going to speak of new purpose. There's a beautiful description of how Aaron was anointed with oil as a sign that God had chosen him to serve as the high priest. In Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the hem of his garments. So this wasn't just a little bit of oil that was kind of rubbed on the forehead. No, this is, this is a massive amount of anointing. If oil would literally be placed onto their head and it would run all the way down into their beard and all the way down to the, to the, literally the ends of you know, the, the, their garment and their robe. And so when David says here, you've, you've anointed my head with oil, he must surely have had in mind the day that he was anointed as king. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. You can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him at that moment. And so he's, he's for sure picturing of what he would have done on a daily basis as he was a shepherd himself. But then also the bigger picture of when, of when kings are anointed and priests and prophets The oil speaks of God's giving purpose, of a calling, of an assignment. So in the Old Testament, only a few people were ever anointed with oil. Only those prophets and priests and kings. But in the New Testament, every single child of God is anointed with that oil because it is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so all of us have been given the gift and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've all been given this new purpose. God gives us the strength in the grind, in the hardships of life. We need sustenance. God, sustain me. Give me strength through the table. And then he's like, I've got a purpose for you as well in your life. A sense of purpose sustained David. He says, God's given me a work to do. I've been called. I've been anointed. If you lose sight of why you are here, why God's left you, on this earth, after you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if we lose sight of that, then listen, we will become jaded and drained and spent and get to the point where we say, man, this isn't even worth it. Have you ever messed up lately? Anybody? Yeah. And if we don't realize the purpose that God has placed us here with, we'll just live in that. Instead, God is calling us out of that to live in this new purpose. And here's the good news. God's worked all of this into you. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. God is working on you. God is working on me, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. And so God has a plan for you, my friend. Ryan, but you don't know. He has a plan for you. And he has a plan for me. Find out what God wants to do in your life. Get the strength and go do it. That's how he sustains you. Come to the table. Eat the banquet spread that he puts before you in himself. Get the strength that you need and fulfill that purpose. We see the oil. God sustains you through that. But thirdly, the cup. He sustains us by giving joy. Thou preparest a table before me in the, str- in the presence of mine enemies. There's the strengthening. He's going to feed you. Thou anointest my head with oil. He's going he's to give you this amazing purpose. And then David says, my cup runs over the joy. There's this kind of downbeat version of Christianity that goes something like this. In this world, you're going to be surrounded by enemies. 
I don't know how we're going to get through this. I'm going to have to endure. I got to just, I got to just stick it out. I've got to just put up with all of the, the junk that's going on. And if you do, if you do, then you will be blessed. When your life in this world is over, you're going to go to heaven and then you're going to have the joy. A lot of people have that mindset. A lot of Christians have that mindset. I'm like, man, it's, it's going to come. It's going to come someday. The downbeat version of Christianity boils down to this. Can I be as frank as this? Life stinks, but heaven is coming. But see, that's not what David is saying here. That's not what David is, is experiencing. Here's a man who knew plenty, plenty of trouble in his life. And you know what he says? My cup's overflowing. You know what he's saying? The joy of my life, it is overflowing in the presence of mine enemies, in the struggle, in the grind of my life. Here is a man in this fallen world with all that he's facing and all that he's suffering. He's saying, even right now, right now, my cup is overflowing. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. And then in John 15, he said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. David and Jesus saying the same things. David is saying, my cup, my cup is overflowing. A few years ago, I had the, I had the opportunity of, along with the, the Hoffman family, going through some of Maria's stuff. And uh, our, our church benefited greatly from that Hoffman estate. And we were able to put roof and parking lot and a lot of beautiful things to this property. And she was 104 years old when she died. And so I had the, I had the privilege of kind of being with the family and kind of going through the stuff. And there was a lot of stuff. Okay. When you've lived 104 years and you've gone through some depression, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff. And as we were going through that stuff, one of the things that was so fascinating to me was there was a ration book back from the Second World War. And so during that war, they, of course, they, they, they rationed food. Uh, the people in Britain, they had a little, they, they'd have to take that and they would get a little bit of a ration for meat and eggs as well as uh, anything else for the entire week. Now, you know what we're used to? We're used to maybe bringing maybe some cutoff coupons, or maybe we have it digitally now, right? Of where we go in and we just we we just buy whatever we want in the grocery store. Nothing is nothing is rationed to us unless we just can't afford something. But for us, if we've got the money, we can go in there. We can buy as many boxes of cornflakes as we want. Anyone eat cornflakes? Okay, yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. But it overflows. We can do whatever we want. And so when Isaiah describes God's forgiveness, it's not enough for him just to say that, you know, God pardons us. No, he says God abundantly pardons us. In Isaiah 55 verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon so it's not just that he'll pardon us. It's not just that he'll forgive us. Isaiah says he will abundantly pardon us. It's not like some ration card. It's not like, well, if you'll do this, this, and this, and this, then you'll get a little bit of my forgiveness. No, he says he abundantly forgives us. When the psalmist 
describes how God brings hope to your life and to mine. It's not enough for him to say that God, that, that with God there is redemption. No, he says that there is plenteous redemption. And Psalm 130 verse 7, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. When Paul speaks about the riches of Christ, it's not just the riches of Christ. He says the unsearchable richness of Christ. There's this abundance, there's this overflowing of what we have in Jesus Christ. When Jesus speaks about giving you life, he doesn't just say, hey, I came, I died, I was buried, I rose from the dead, so you could have life. And that's true. We can have life because of him. But he says in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have abundant life. How's your joy? Church, how's your joy? Or do we live in a downbeaten Christianity type of mindset? Do you have abundant joy? Do you have abundant forgiveness? Do you have this plenteous redemption of God? This is amazing. I am in the presence of my enemies. I am struggling. I'm walking through this valley of the shadow of death. All of the struggles that David was, he's lumping in there. And he says, and my cup's overflowing. That's the sustenance that God desires for you to have and for you to experience, my friends. When the prodigal son returned from home, the father didn't go out and reluctantly meet him. He didn't go out to say, hey, you know what? Hey, you've been gone a long time. You've done a whole lot of sinning. You spent all my money. You know what? You can come back if you do this, 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 and this. No, he runs after him. Puts his arms around him and lavishly loves him and kisses him. By the way, Jewish men, fathers of that day, elderly men, they never ran. And so this was a just, I am going to, doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me. My son has returned. He doesn't come back and say, well, you know what? Hey, if you come back to the house, there might be some like cold hot dog in the refrigerator from some previous barbecue. He says, no, hey, let's kill the fatted calf. It was major that the son had returned. Abundance of celebration. That's what David experienced. He experienced abundant pardon, plentiful redemption, and he says, my cup overflows. The table, the oil, and the cup. See, the table reminds us that God sustains us by giving us strength. The oil reminds us that God sustains us by giving us purpose. The cup reminds us that God sustains us by giving joy. So how do you get this? joy? How do you get this purpose? How do, you, how do you get this strength? Where do you find it? Well, David says these things were his. So where do we get it? He's saying, hey, hey, these things belong to me. This strength and this purpose and this joy, it belongs to me. My cup is literally overflowing. So how does this become yours? Well, the answer is that we are blessed. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It's in Christ. That was true for David who lived many years before Jesus. And the same can be true for us living many years after Jesus. 
The whole of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, he knew of Psalm 23. He understood it. He lived it. So what did the table mean for him? What did the anointing mean for Jesus? What did the, what did the cup mean for Jesus? Well, I want you to think about the table here for a moment. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus met with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. And Matthew tells us this. In Matthew 26, verse number 20, when it was evening, he sat at table with the 12. So at the beginning of this meal, Jesus was sitting amongst his enemies. He sat at table with the 12. Now we know from the other gospels, Judas would have ultimately got up and left at one point. But at the very beginning, he's, literally, he's amidst the enemies. Judas Iscariot was there at the table and Jesus took the bread in his hands and he broke it. And he said that he had broken the bread. It's the same hands that broke the bread when he was feeding the 5,000. But this time he said, take, eat. This is my body. And then you get to verse number 27 of Matthew 26. And he took the cup and had given thanks and gave it to them and saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is my body. This is my blood. See, Jesus is more than preparing the meal. Jesus is the meal. See, Jesus gives you the strength by giving you himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John chapter number six. And he says, anyone that, anyone that eats of me, they will have life in them, shall live by me. They will all have life. This well of springing water just flowing from them. See, the heart of the Christian life is that Jesus gives you himself. Jesus, my friend, he is your strength. And you feed on him by believing in him. And you trust him and you draw your strength from him. So he understood this table concept. He sat at a table once. And he was sitting at a table where he was getting ready to give of himself for you. What about the anointing? What about the oil? What would that have meant to Jesus? What tasks or what was he called to? What assignment was given to Jesus? Well, remember the picture of Aaron when, when they would have anointed his head. He was given the task and it would have kind of run down his body. Oil was poured on Jesus's head as well. It was in, the, in a house by the name, uh, a man named Simon. Jesus had gone there with a group of friends. Among them was Mary, who was the sister of Lazarus who Jesus had raised from the dead. She was filled with gratitude and she wanted to do something to show her love for Jesus. And she had a jar of very, very expensive ointment. Mark tells us that she, she broke that flask. She broke that, 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 um, that, that just ointment and she literally began to pour that out over Jesus's head. And many of them thought it was a waste, Judas especially, Mark 14, verse 6 says, and Jesus said, let her alone. They started saying, what are you doing? And he says, let her alone. Why, well, why, why are you troubling her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always, and whenever ye will, ye may do them good, but may ye not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burial. See, so David, 
David was anointed to be a king. Jesus was anointed to die. Jesus was anointed. His purpose was a burial. This is the work of the Father that had called him. The Father said, hey, I've got a task for you. I've got a mission for your life. It is to be crucified. It is to die. It is to be buried. And you're going to lay down your life for the sheep. This was the purpose that Jesus had. Jesus was anointed for death. Jesus was anointed for burial so that you could be appointed unto eternal life. Acts 13 says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord as many were appointed to eternal life believed. See, he was anointed in death and burial so you could be anointed in life. What a beautiful transaction. That is your good shepherd, my friend. And that's why we've been looking at Jesus is all through this entire chapter. And so he walked into this oil, into this anointing as well. But how about the cup? The table, he would have sat with his disciples, breaking that body, giving of his blood, saying, this is all going to be for you. I give that strength, the anointing. He's going to lay his life down for burial so that you can have life eternal. But the cup, what did the cup mean for Jesus? You've listened so well this morning. Do not miss the next 10 minutes. Jesus spoke about the cup. In the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, he went on a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. What was this cup? Well, in the book of Revelation, there is a powerful description of this final judgment that is going to await those that have never trusted Jesus Christ. As our Savior. Revelation 14, verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This, my friend, is the cup that was given to Jesus. If the thought of it, the thought of this cup, the thought of the very wrath of God caused him to kind of stutter a little bit. If it caused him to kind of just shrink back a little bit in horror in the Garden of Gethsemane, we must have the reality of what it meant for him to go to the cross. See, Jesus, Jesus was, he was saying, I'll drink it. I'll, I'll go anyways. Why did the perfect, holy Son of God have to drink the wine of God's wrath poured out in full strength of God's anger? Why do you have to do that? Because Isaiah said, all we are like sheep and all of us have gone away. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why do you have to drink that cup? You ready? Because of you and because of me. Because we are all like sheep. We all go our own way. And so what God was doing, the Father was placing your sin, he was placing my sin, this cup of this wrath, and he was placing it on to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body of divine justice. This on that tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. 
It fell on him. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that you could drink the cup of God's blessing. He took it. He took the wrath so you could be blessed. I want you to try, try to take in this picture here from, that I've taken from a book by an old Scottish pastor, J. Douglas Macmillan. And it's in his book, The Lord Our Shepherd. L- listen to what he says. God holds a cup in his hand. The cup is full and it has your name written on it. He hands it down to you and you shrink back in horror because you know what is in the cup. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. But before it reaches your hand, the good shepherd reaches out and takes it into his hand. He knows what is in the cup. And as he holds it, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Wow. The good shepherd drinks it. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He drinks all of it until the cup's empty. He drinks it all. And then he refills it. Oh, not with wrath. He doesn't refill it with his anger. He refills it with his love. He refills it with his justice. He refills it with grace and mercy and peace and eternal life. That's your good shepherd. Shouldn't we all this morning be able to say like David, my cup's running over. Jesus, you did all of that. You took all of the wrath. You took my cup so that I could have this now amazing cup overflowing with the blessings of God. For a moment, I want to speak to the person maybe that's in here that's not yet a believer. And I believe there are some. Perhaps you become used to hearing the claims of Christ and brushing them off. Of, oh, I'm not ready. I don't fully understand. It's not for me. I don't get it. Someday I'll, someday I'll need this. But when you hear that the good shepherd leads his people into righteousness, when you hear that the good shepherd, that he restores his sheep, when you hear that the good shepherd brings back those that wander, when we begin to falter in our lives, he, he, he writes us back up. When we hear that he restores us, when we, hear, when we hear that the good shepherd, that he guards us, that when we head down into the, into the valley of that shadow of death where every single one of us is going to experience someday death, all of us will. And when we, when we start heading down that path, we don't know how we're going to die. We, we don't know all of the ins and the outs of that. And he guards us through that. When you hear of a good shepherd that does that, 
And then when you hear of a good shepherd that is willing to sit at a table with his very own enemies and say, hey, this, this bread we're about to break, it's my body. This juice, this wine that we're about to drink, it's my blood that's going to be poured out for you. When he took the anointing of burial so that you can have life, when you hear that Jesus Christ took the cup of God's anger towards sin and he is angry at sin and it poured all into that cup, his wrath, and he says, I'll take that for Ryan. I'll take that for you. And he drinks it so you can have a life overflowing of blessing and love and grace and eternal life. Let me ask you, don't you want that? That only belongs to the fold. Those realities only belong to people that have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and have been born again, as John 3 says. It comes in Jesus Christ. Why should you not want to be among those that claim those promises? I'm talking to kids in here. I'm talking to adults in here. This could be your reality, but it's in Christ. There's only one barrier between you and God. And by the way, it's not the barrier of behavior. Because some in here would think, well, yeah, you know what? I, I, I've done so well with my behavior. That clearly, I'm going to be with God. No, not according to Scripture. There's none righteous. No, not one. So the barrier of, uh, of being too good and then the barrier of my behavior is there's no way I can be saved. Hey, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You, you just don't know what I've thought in my mind. Listen, there is no behavior that is too bad for Jesus not to save. Oh, your behavior will never be good enough. And it's never bad enough. You know what the barrier is? Belief. Belief. Do you believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Dying on that cross, shedding his blood so that you could have eternal life. That's it. Do you believe and receive? That's the only barrier. You're either gonna believe it or not. Do you believe? You literally right now in your heart, you can believe. You're going to be like, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus Christ. And I'm asking him to save me. I am accepting the free gift of what he did for me for salvation. It's belief. It's not turning over a new leaf. There's no leaves to be turned over. You're never going to be good enough. And you are not bad enough that Jesus cannot save you. So right now, the good shepherd... He's inviting you, everyone in here, he's inviting you to find strength at his table. The good shepherd's inviting you to find purpose in the anointing of the oil, Holy Spirit in you. Find purpose in that. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me to a blessing filled cup that is overflowing with his love, grace, mercy and hope towards you. That's how he sustains you, my friend. Once you feast on him this morning, it's awesome. Jesus is like, 
I'm your sustenance. I am what you need to be sustained. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I, I ask you in the name of Jesus, God, to radically work in hearts right now and in the moments after this service. God, that we wouldn't live in this defeated mentality, but God, instead, Lord, that we would have our cup overflowing. And then God, if there's an individual here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, right now in their hearts, I pray that they would believe and that they would receive the free gift of salvation. So the realities of what we have just preached will be their reality. Take a moment now and reflect on this message and what the Lord wants to do in your life.